I'll be reading uh, the short letter, and uh, then we'll open in prayer. So I know we read a lot of scripture. You wonder, boy, this church reads a lot of scripture, but my desire is that we know and are filled with scripture. I mean, a lot of people don't read it on their own, but uh, just to take the word of God and enjoy it. Hopefully you uh, enjoy hearing it and reading it. So um, please follow along. I'll be reading out of the New King James and starting in the second epistle of John. Not the book of John, but the second letter of John. The elder to the elect lady and her children whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the Father, in truth and love. I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, not as though I write a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ hath both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Having many things to write to you, I do not wish to do so with paper and ink, but I hope to come to you and speak face to face, that a joy may be full. The children of your elect sister greet you. Amen. So we open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this short little letter from John. And Father, we ask that um, you would help us to understand, even as this is almost a condensed uh, book above love, and um, many references to First John. But Father, we thank you that you have given us a complete word. And as we read it, we can hear it and understand it and take it and apply it to our lives. And so, Father, I pray that you would direct our hearts. Thank you for the truth it gives to us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So really, John, as we look at this condensed book of love, and I really don't have a title except that it, this is, we're going to look at a condensed book of love. If you were to kind of uh, put that into a title, condensed book of love, I don't know if that would be accurate, but uh, that's what you get. I'm sorry, not a, a creative title. But um, as we look at this book, we're going to look at some principles that I believe are important about love. And obviously, as we think about uh, the time Christmas season, love, joy, peace, we know that these are characteristics that are essential and important. And as we arrive at the book of 2 John, we see here introduction to the elder and uh, from John, who was probably later in life and went by the term elder. It was a term of respect. Nowadays, you know, we, we don't call people elder or senior. You know, we try to, what do you call someone who's a little bit older than you? you know, my kids just call me old man or, you know, they had the OG old guy, you know, f familiar terms. But uh, really, the respect of that, and if you look at 1 Peter 5.1, it talks about even he calls himself to the elders, of, which, of who I am as well. Uh, this was a term of respect and used for the respected religious leaders. And uh, we don't know who the recipient elect lady is. Could refer to maybe someone who hosted in their home 
or it could be um, a term for uh, the, the church and its congregants where they met, so the lady. And as we see here, uh, we don't necessarily know, so I'm not going to speculate on that. But as we get to the book, as we understand here in verse 1, it says, But to all those who have known the truth, because of the truth which abides in us and will be with us forever. And then verse 3, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. As we see here, that it mentions truth, or in the Greek, aletheia, aletheia and uh, it's used three times. And love and truth, known the truth, and because of the truth. Uh, we know the truth, the truth shall, shall set you free. But here, biblically, it says love and truth, they are known in the truth and because of the truth. It's kind of like, do you, so help you God, do you swear to tell the truth, the only truth and nothing but the truth? But the first thing we want to see here is, first of all, principle, loving others is evidence that you have received love. Loving others, if you're following in your notes, loving others is evidence that you have received love. As we think about the term narcissism, narcissism means to love yourself. You know, and that's kind of big in today's world of you have to love yourself before you can help others. But some people love themselves too much. You know, you have to care about yourself and understand your identity. But loving others is evidence that you have received love. And here in this passage, there's a direct relationship between love and truth. See, the recipient of love is those in the truth. And those who have, who have a direct personal relationship with Jesus Christ, those who are in the truth. And these individuals are also the recipients of God's love as it is displayed within the community of believers and within the local church body. And they receive the truth. We had a speaker here from New Jersey, Paul Robinson, and he said that um, love is sandwiched between truth and grace. And what that means is Love must be displayed within the balance of truth, that which is right, and grace. And grace is what God has given us what we do not deserve. Literally, the gift of eternal life instead of punishment. So we must love others because of what Christ has done for us, not because of what we can receive from others. Uh, there is an, a, an example of a letter. Let me just read this letter. Dearest Lauren, I'm so sorry for the things I said. I've been unable to sleep since I broke off our relationship last month. I think about you day and night. Your absence is breaking my heart, and recently I began to realize that no one can take your place, sweetheart. I miss you so much. Please call me. All my love, Robert. P.S. Congratulations on winning last week's Powerball lottery. A <laughs> little bit of motivation we see there, genuine love. But as we come back to it, loving others is evidence that you have received it. And that's an important part because in order to receive love, that genuine love, and within the body of believers, here, that truth. But as we think about and define love, here in the text, it's talking about receiving the love of Christ. And we're going to elaborate on it a little bit because how do we know that love? And especially at Christmas time, we, we know that Jesus Christ came to earth to show us who he is who God is. But first, as we continue on, is that love must possess grace, mercy, and peace. 
in verse 3, it uses these characteristics, and Paul always expressed that in his greetings. I greet you, you know, grace, mercy, and peace be with you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. And so grace, mercy, and peace. And as we see the distinction, you know, love, we talk about that balance. And one of the challenges is, especially for believers, is that to be right or correct without demonstrating genuine love. Parents, whether you had parents or whether you are a parent, you remember that you want to correct your children. You can't have a social experiment and just, let's see what the kid child does if we don't teach them the difference between right or wrong. You know, we don't usually teach our children how to do wrong. You know, hey, you know, go, go set that car on fire. Go do this, you know. Now, granted, if, you're bo- if you've had boys and they do like fireworks and pyromania, you know, to burn things or destroy things, you know, girls don't ever have that. Uh, di- well, for the most part, they don't. But the whole point is we don't have to teach them how to be bad. You know, sometimes they just watch their own lives. But as we see here, teaching them to be correct, but you'd, if you were to uh, just always correct them for everything, your standard of what is right or wrong, we will become legalistic and teach others that our standard or the church's standard is better than the biblical standard. That's why we want to impart the wisdom, the Bible, as you go through Proverbs and Psalms. You know, teach them what is truth, but what is love? Because without grace, mercy, and peace, it becomes very structured. It becomes systematic. Uh, you know, even in churches, historically, it's been about, okay, this Bible version is right. This clothing style is right. This music is right. What you have, you know, that's okay. That's not right. You shouldn't have that. And so we've tried to provide that. But the danger is that we haven't allowed the Word of God and the Spirit of God to fill us and to start there genuine, the love of Christ. And so the way we do things, we obviously have to place certain standard on things, but as we look at what is the biblical standard, what is our motivation, and when it all becomes a matter of this is right, this is wrong, absolutely, and then it'll become acidic and caustic to other believers and unbelievers, because they say, oh, well, you're, you're wrong and I'm right. It just becomes a matter of right or wrong, and that's not the true demonstration of love. Sometimes in the biblical illustration of love, we're willing to be wrong to show love. But wait, I like to be right. I mean, if you've ever played games, how many of you are competitive, like to win at games? All right, see, for the most part, yeah, that's a good number. You know, if we play games, you know, you like to win. Most of I was going to say, now how many like to lose? You know, some of you are like, oh, yeah, I love to lose. You know, I love when everyone beats. I've only known a few people who play just for the genuine joy of playing. You know, they don't care if they win. But it's not like I go in there looking to lose. You know, I mean, that motiv- that's my motivation. I can't wait to be lo- lose, and I like to be beat really bad. You know, it's like, what is wrong with you? Most of us have some type of nature of wanting to win. But it comes from our desire of being right. Because, ha, huh? or it comes from our desire to rub it in a sibling or a friend's face because they've done it to us. But love must possess grace, mercy, and peace to demonstrate that. If we think about it, genuine love flows from a transformed heart. Because we won't naturally do it on our own. We're sinful people. Think about in John 4, when Jesus passed through Samaria. Samaria where, oh, they're half-breeds. We, we don't want to go through Samaria. And then he goes to the well midday and talks to the Samaritan woman. That's like talking to a prostitute. And it's like, wait a second, what's going on? The disciples didn't understand that. But Jesus had an intended purpose. 
And when he goes through and talks to them, we understand that he was demonstrating the love of the Father, which is a supernatural love, but also teaching them. And it was against all the spiritual um, and cultural norms at that time, especially to speak to even a woman. Countercultural, if you will. When a husband and a wife or two friends fight, love is displayed when a person does not focus upon the argument but values the other person and reconciliation more than winning the argument. Genuine love does not hold grudges nor keep a list of wrongs. It takes the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to show gracious, merciful, and peaceful love to others, especially when they do not know the truth. So each time, as we look at, John here is giving, and he cares about, if you remember in, in 1 John, as he talks about little children, and cares about them as his own. He uses those familia and terms. And uh, he says to them, here, grace, mercy, and peace be um, with you from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father in truth and love. And to show that love and to be able to understand and see that. What often happens is in our own lives, we become scarred or we become disillusioned by love. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's by what we've seen. Other people who say they care about us, but they really don't. Uh, there was a book by a, a Yahoo exec. It's a secular book, and it was called Love is a Killer App. This was back when apps were first coming out. But the whole point of the book was that, guess what? Sometimes you have to still be kind and allow people to wrong you. But don't become... Uh, overly concerned with trying to just protect yourself because you're going to lose and in life. And the philosophy is that what occurs is you become desensitized to receive true, genuine love because you've been hurt so much. Sometimes you are going to have to show love and be vulnerable. And that's the hard part because in loving someone else, there's vulnerableness, vulnerability, because we have to allow ourselves to be open. And as we understand here, it does take the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to show grace, mercy, and peace, especially when other people don't know what is truth. So what good does it do if we tell others that they are sinful and headed to an eternity of suffering because there are those who just want to say, guess what, you're wrong and you're going to hell and, and that's it. But if you just have truth and you don't display genuine love and care for that individual, then you're right, but it has no benefit to others. That's only half of love. And so as we look at the next part of, of love, it's not about just being right and we need righteousness, but we also um, can't err on the other side of it of just being gracious. And so if we see the next one is love must possess truth. Verse 4 and 6, it says, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandments from the Father and now I plead with you, lady, not as though I write a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is a commandment that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. <coughs> it has that picture of walking through and truth. And I rejoice greatly. That truthfulness literally means to be authentic, genuine. Now, if you know about today's culture, you live in it, but some of you aren't on social media, and social media is kind of very disingenuous. You know, it's like, oh, look at me. You know, I'm on vacation 
in, in um, Hawaii. Oh, I'm doing this. You know, oh, sometimes people are like, oh, I wish I had that life. Or I wish that. But, you know, the genuineness. And that's the hard part is that it becomes a facade. Our lives become a facade. And people have identity crises. They don't even know who they are. But in, in that love must possess truth. 1 John 3.23, if you go back a little bit, just to the last book, 1 John 3.23, it says, This is his commandment that we should believe on the name of Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. And that his commandment that we should believe. If we love and seek only to be gracious to others and not want to offend them, we're going to compromise true love. And that's a danger because it's hard with family and friends to that balance. Because nowadays, oh, uh, we, we can offend people so easily. But when it comes to understanding love, if you just show the love, the grace, and mercy without truth, then it's going to lead to compromise. And that's the challenge. It, under, it underestimates our power of us to be able to be sinful. Because our natural desire is sinfulness, to turn away from God, to do the worst. And that's really underestimated even in our culture, the polarity of, you know, as we think about, oh, liberal conservatives, but it's not about that. It's as we think about even Christianity. Christians and churches have tried to work this balance of reaching the lost and also maintaining the Word of God. Well, I'll be honest, we have to maintain the Word of God, but how do we display that to others? Well, some have tried to be completely gracious, but they've really misrepresented and they have compromised in truth. And then there's some who said, oh, it's, we have to be truthful in everything, but they don't have that genuineness. Um, they have what is kind of, a, as we think about the stoic nature of, okay, I'm right and I don't care what anyone else thinks, but there isn't the genuine display of love toward others because all they know is that, okay, you stand for that, but where is love? And love that possesses only grace leads to compromise and underestimates the power of sinfulness, but people who want to only show support and love sinners but do not want to offend them and fail to tell them the consequences of their sin or the need for repentance lack the balance of genuine love. Truth represents an essential element of our need to obey and follow God's commands. It is not loving if you think about it, okay, you have a child near the Grand Canyon edge and say, oh, guess what, you know what, hey, you know what, Go ahead, have fun, enjoy it, you know, look at the canyon, it's beautiful. But if that child doesn't have the knowledge of not being too close, you know, that can lead to a dangerous spit. But if you say, okay, you know what, I'm scared, so don't, don't go anywhere near there, the edge, and you don't, we don't allow them the freedom, hey, to be able to see, to enjoy, sometimes we are placing upon them our own restrictions. And that's the hard part for the believer is balance between truth and love. And sometimes this is where it comes into pre preferences. Our own convictions, my convictions aren't always the same as yours, but what happens is there's an essential word here, which is doctrine. Doctrine and truth. What is right? What does the Bible say? There's some things, the death, burial, the resurrection. That is a doctrine, a teaching, a biblical truth. We don't compromise. We don't move on that. But as we think about love, how is love demonstrated in our lives? And that's where the expression of love. Jesus Christ came, who is God, and humbly came to earth. And I'll tell you, that is just an incredible act of love to us. But yet it's also something that we do not understand because God who works outside the framework, the structure, the limitations 
of time, space, and matter, he exists outside of that, was willing to place himself within those boundaries and to show us who he is. Now, most of us don't like to go out outside of our sphere, our comfort zone, our sphere of influence. Even as we talk about the United States, you know, there is a, an 18 inches that people like to get together. And, you know, if you ever had someone who invades your personal space, you're like, you know, keep moving back. Or in different countries, if you've ever traveled on, in different countries on buses, you know, here you have buses that, you know, have individual seats to fit wide across. In other places, you know, you have chickens, you have animals. I've ridden in them, you know. You're cramped over like this. You're riding, you know, to get to where you're at. Most people would be like, I'm not doing that. Because we enjoy our, um, our, our interpretation of what is comfortable for us. But sometimes we have to go out outside of our comfort zone. And it requires humility. It requires um, being able to display love for others. And it's not the compromising, but when we know the truth, then we can be able to, it's how we express that truth to others. Some people just say, well, I don't want to express it. It's mine. But love must possess truth. And truth represents an essential element to obey and follow God's commands. We display our love for God through our obedience to his commands. And that's where, how do we obey his commands? What is essential is obeying his commands. And there's some people who say, well, you have to do it this way. Well, you have to do it that way. The nature is, guess what? Obey his commands. Ultimately, are you obeying his command? And, and we, we understand that. As we move down here, it says in verse 4, as we receive commandments from the Father. 1 John 4.21 says, And this commandment we have from him who love God must love their brother also, to love others, displayed toward others. As we see um, in your notes, 1 John 3.23, as we read, it said this is his commandment that every believer in the name of, the, of his son Jesus and love one another as he gave us commandment. But also 1 John 4.21 which states and says, And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Now, those of you who have no brothers and only a sister, you don't get out of this commandment. What it means is simply as we love others. And really, to love those within the church first. And it's funny because sometimes within the church, those are the ones we are most irritable with. Maybe because we spend time with them but love one another, to care for one another. Because if you can't show genuine love in the local church, the assembly, how are you going to show it to others? And I'll be honest, with what I've seen is oftentimes, humanly speaking, we can hurt those who we care about the most more deeply because we know them. But to love them, and it requires that humility. It requires following God's command. It's not our command, but his commands. And that Verse 6 command is used four times in verses 4 through 6. John makes it clear that to love God is to obey his commands, and, and it's circular because to love God is to obey his commands, and those who obey commands are those who are loving others. And it is not genuine love for God if we do not walk in love, keep his commandments, or show that visible love to others. And that's where it is important to understand is that love. What is love? Let me just give you, um, let me just read this little story. It's a kind of a historical narrative. Uh, During the waning years of the Depression in a small southeastern Idaho community, a story is told of a man who used to stop by Mr. Miller's roadside stand for farm fresh produce as the season made it available. 
Food and money were still extremely scarce, and bartering was used extensively. And this is his first-person account of kind of that grace and kindness. Those of you, I mean, most of us didn't live through the Depression, but bartering, and just listen to the story as we go through. One particular day, Mr. Miller was bagging some early potatoes for me. I noticed a small boy, delicate of bone and feature, ragged but clean, hungrily apprising a basket of freshly picked green peas. I paid for my potatoes, but was also drawn to the display of fresh green peas. I'm a pushover for cream peas and new potatoes. Pondering the peas, I couldn't help overhearing the conversation between Mr. Miller and the ragged boy next to me. Hello, Barry. How are you today? Hello, Mr. Miller. Fine. Thank you. Just admiring them peas. Sure look good. They are good, Barry. How's your maw? Fine. Getting stronger all the time. Good. Anything I can help you with? No, sir. Just admiring those peas. Would you like to take them home? No, sir. Got nothing to pay for them with. Well, what have you got to trade me for some of those peas? All I got is my prize marble here. Is that right? Let me see it. Well, t- here it is. She's a dandy. Would you? Um, she's a dandy. Well, I can see that. Hmm. Only thing is that uh, one is blue, and I sort of go for the red. Do you have a red one like this at home? Not exactly, but almost. Tell you what. Take this sack of peas home with you, and next trip... Uh, Let me look at that red marble. Sure will. Thanks, Mr. Miller. Mrs. Miller, who had been standing nearby, came over to help me. With a smile, she said, there are two other boys just like him in our community. All three are very poor circumstances. Jim just loves to bargain with them for peas, apples, tomatoes, and whatever. When they come back with their red marbles, like they always do, he decides he doesn't like red after all and sends them home with a bag of produce for a green marble or an orange one, perhaps. Well, I left the stand, smiling to myself, impressed with this man. A short time later, I moved to Colorado, but I never forgot the story of this man, the boys, and their bartering. Several years went by, more rapidly than the previous one. Just recently, I had the occasion to visit some friends in that Idaho community, and while I was there, I learned that Mr. Miller had passed away. They were having his viewing that evening, and knowing my friends wanted to go, I agreed to accompany them. Upon our arrival at the mortuary, we fell in a line to meet the relatives of the deceased and to offer whatever words of comfort we could. Ahead of us in line were three young men. One was in an an army uniform, and the other two wore nice haircuts, dark suits, and white shirts. Very professional looking. They approached Mrs. Miller, standing, smiling, and composed by her husband's casket. Each of the young men hugged her, kissed her on the cheek, spoke briefly with her, and moved on to the casket. Her misty light blue eyes followed them as one by one each man, young man stopped by briefly and placed his own warm hand over the cold, pale hand in the casket. Each left the mortuary awkwardly wiping his eyes. Our turn came to greet um, and meet Mrs. Miller. I told her who I was and mentioned the story she had told me about the marbles. Eyes glistening, she, she took my hand and led me to the casket. Those three young men who just left were the boys I told you about. They just told me how they appreciated the things Jim traded them. Now at last, when Jim could not change his mind about what color or size, they came to pay their debt. We've never had a great deal of wealth in this world, she confided, but right now Jim would consider himself the richest man in Idaho. With loving gentleness, she lifted the lifeless fingers of her deceased husband, resting underneath her three exquisitely shined red marbles. So you just wonder the the impact that uh, your actions can have on another person. And you don't always know, but understand that the demonstration or display of our love to others 
It isn't the motivation that we desire something back from them, but the expression of what Christ has done for us. And the more that you know about what Christ has done for you, the more you appreciate how he has blessed you and helped you. I think the greater motivation we have and more compelling we have to serve and to love him. Number four is love is displayed by Jesus coming in the flesh. As we go through verse 7, it says, For many deceivers have gone out of the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. What was taking place here is John is addressing that these people denied that it was truly Jesus who had come to, um, who had lived, that he was God. But Jesus coming to earth, we call that the incarnation. And the birth of Jesus Christ at Christmas time, honestly, is not the most important holiday that Christians celebrate. See, we spiritualize Christmas, give gifts, and, thank, and are thankful because it is evidence that the prophets have, um, what the prophets foretold has been fulfilled. Scripture has been fulfilled. But the significance of Jesus coming to earth and is greater than the celebration of Christmas. Jesus came to earth, but his purpose was to die on the cross, to forgive our sins, and to give us the gift of eternal life. If you hold your spot again and go to John chapter 1, or excuse me, 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. It says, little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be manifest, that none of them were us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and that no lie is in the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is an antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let us abide in you, which you heard from the beginning. If you heard from the beginning, abides in you. You also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. These things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he appears, you may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. As you look at that text and understand the whole abiding, it might be confusing going back, but the writing is understanding the, um, the parallel of Jesus Christ and God. Jesus Christ was God, and that if we are in Christ, then you have the Father. And sometimes it's kind of, as we understand what those individuals have, if you don't, they were claiming to have, believing God, and to say that they had, but if you don't have the Son, you don't have the Father. You can't have one without the other. You use that familiar term. And here, Jesus Christ, he came to forgive our sins, provide the gift of eternal life. He came to earth as a visible demonstration of love to pay the penalty for our sins and to provide a way that we could have an everlasting relationship and future presence with him. And so 
the vocabulary, the terminology, what happens is this is an act of love that we can never replicate. It is a gift. It is an act of love that we can never truly display. We understand that greater love had no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Or if someone were to give the love to, to another, the life. Those who have served in the military understand that. A mother who has sacrificed for her child. We see the fierceness in that. We've seen human expressions and demonstrations of love. But as we understand this act of love, let me ask you, would you reach down, let me, picture this, I know you can't picture New York City, but New York City is a very busy, some of it's very dirty, very noisy, smelly, you can smell the trash bins overflowing, especially on a hot day, you know, it's just dirty. Well, imagine this, you reach down and find a rat or a smelly cockroach that's swimming around in the city toilet waste sewers, okay, pick it up, okay, I got it here, you know, and now, whether it's a cockroach, and give, give that thing a kiss. Well, most would be like disgusted and you'd be barfing and it'd be like, no way. But even beyond that is the picture of Christ coming to earth to love us who really are almost unlovable in our sins as filthy rags. You know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He sent Jesus who is God to earth to physically die to pay the punishment for our sin. That whosoever believes in him repents, asks forgiveness, and believes that Jesus is God and he died and rose again and personally can forgive us and give us the gift of eternal life. Will not perish, die spiritually, but be eternally separated from God. But will have eternal or everlasting life. Have a future eternity in the presence of God. Boy, John 3.16 isn't that well known anymore. It used to be at the baseball games. It used to be printed everywhere. But I think it's an important verse for us to remember that the love of Christ, the love of God. And as a famous theologian, Linus, quotes out of Luke 2, if you remember, in verse 24, where the angels praise God and say, Glory to God in the highest and peace, goodwill toward men. Jesus Christ came to earth at this time. And if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, you'll receive the greatest display of love, greatest gift of love ever. If you're to die today, not sure that if you would go to heaven, I would encourage you to talk to myself or we have material to know how, how you can know for sure that you go to heaven. 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that you can know for certain, certain that you have eternal life, that relationship with Christ. But during this Christmas season, if you're a believer, how does this apply to us, this display of love? Follow his commands. Well, I would encourage you, you know, read the word of God and learn about that love and continue to fulfill the command to love others. You know, we try to live isolated lives, but we're always going to run into other people. And I don't mean, you know, run over people. Sometimes that happens in the business of trying to shop. But we're going to run into people. And how your attitude, you're going to be frazzled. You're going to be rushing. You're going to be uh, consumed by time, by concerns, by, by other things, especially if you're a task-oriented person. You want to complete those tasks. But I encourage you to take time to think about the people around you, the people you're going to meet. There are so many who do not know Christ in the grocery store, at the gas station. A simple smile to understand that what Christ has done for you if you can remember and be able to express it, and I'll, t I'll be honest, it's not easy. You almost have to tell yourself the mantra of like, okay, Jesus died for me, I have to be happy. Because we're going to forget. 
You know, I, you know, we forget what we did yesterday, and our memories are so short. And encourage one another. Don't say, how are you going? How are you doing? You know, we, we understand that's just a familial term for, you know, hi, I don't want to really know, hi. But if you're going to ask them, say, hey, no, I really want to know. Are you doing okay during this busy time? Encourage one another, you know, as a believer, and especially other believers. You know, look around for those who are vulnerable. Look for those who, who really need it. And I, it'll not always be easy, but you have the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to love those who do not want to be loved and those who you do not want to love. Let me just close that and finish that statement again. God is going to give you the supernatural power to be able to, to that command to love others for those who do not want to be loved and also those who you do not want to love. Shall we pray? Thank you.